0: People need to see themselves in the stories that we're telling. Because we are building inspiration. We are crafting these worlds of aspiration. We're saying who heroes are. We're defining hero and villain. And we're defining traits and behaviors that people should aspire to embody.
1: Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry
2: today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready
1: for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Josh, how are you? Hey, man, I'm doing really well, but I got to know, how are you?
2: I am fan triple quadruple-tastic today. Woo, is that 12 yeah. times? You're gonna make me do math. <laughs> Will there be no math? Hey, this I This is a not question. the math Bros podcast. No, it's not. Thank goodness. We we would have been done with episode one. <laughs> How would we know? <laughs> That's right. That's right. I have a question for you.
1: Okay. Have you It's ever not a math question, is it? It is
2: not a math question at all. It's more of a recollection in your history kind of question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever flipped a table? Yes. You have. Are you able to share their circumstances? <laughs> um, I'm sure it was
1: all in good fun. I don't know why I answered so quickly. Like, yes, I have this distinct memory of flipping a table. I, I just imagine that I'm sure at some point in my life I've flipped a table.
2: You have. Well, our guest has, or whether it's literally flipping a table or figuratively flipping tables, Cynthia Sharpe is someone who is not afraid to get in and get her her feet dirty, get her hands dirty and flip some tables and and, uh, tackle some tough subjects.
1: Not only does she flip tables, but she sets fires too. And again, whether this is literal or whether this is a metaphor, this actually ends up becoming the foundation for our entire conversation. We asked her at the beginning of this interview because I thought it would be a fun way to talk about her Twitter handle. And it really ended up taking us down a path that I believe makes this one of the most important episodes we have ever released of the Attraction Pros podcast. And why is that? Well, we are going to talk uh, uh, substantially on the topic of diversity and inclusion, particularly within the attractions, within the uh, themed entertainment industry, and really hear Cynthia's perspective on really the, the state of the industry right now, as well as what needs to be done moving forward to promote more inclusion, more equity access for uh, really for everyone to make sure that everyone feels welcome when they are visiting a theme park, a museum, any type of attraction uh, that, that, well, that would listen to this podcast.
2: (laughs) And I have to say, I think I left this interview with more questions than answers still. And um, uh, my hope is that the people that listen to this that it inspires some questions in them as well. And as you get into the, the interview, you'll hear why, but um, I just think there's a lot of questions that we need to be asking ourselves and asking our colleagues in order to, like you said, make sure that we're as diverse and as inclusive as possible.
1: Yeah, th- this is an incredibly eye-opening interview and, and conversation. I also walked away very inspired with a lot of questions that I'll be regularly asking myself from this point forward.
2: Excellent. Well, one question we don't have to ask is, who's coming up? We know it's Cynthia Sharp. Here she comes.
1: Cynthia Ho, welcome to the Attraction Pros podcast. We are so excited to chat with you here today. How are you?
0: I'm great. Thanks so much for having me on. This is going to be awesome fun.
1: It will be awesome fun. So first, let's uh, just start here to, uh, if you can tell us a little bit about your role with ThinkWell and what you do.
0: Sure. So I'm with Thinkwell Group. I'm affiliated with the LA studio. I have been with Thinkwell for 16 and a half years at this point. Uh, And I am Principal Cultural Attractions and Research, which is a giant umbrella title in a way. I wear a couple of different hats at Thinkwell. I am essentially an executive creative director for a number of our museum, zoo, aquarium, large-scale cultural event clients. Uh, but I also creative direct in theme parks and themed entertainment. And I also do business strategy uh, and work with our project development team a lot, corporate strategy uh, in terms of growth in the new markets. I'm principal in the ThinkWell Health Vertical as well. Uh, And I'm also the executive liaison for ThinkWell's Diversity and Inclusion Council. So you're not busy at all? No, really, really, it's a slacker role.
2: (laughs) Well, Cynthia, I'm curious, um, what were you doing before that that led you to ThinkWell and all these incredible opportunities?
0: Um, So I will attempt to keep this short. The very short version is... I used to live in Chicago and I was at the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago. I was there for just shy of seven years. And I started out as an education manager for a temporary and traveling exhibit that they brought in and then moved into exhibition development, which is essentially their equivalent of a creative director uh, and project management, strategy and business planning on temporary and traveling exhibits, I was there. Uh, like I said, for just shy of seven years, had seven different roles. Um, it was a great way to learn the museum side of the business and all that goes into making uh, both traveling exhibitions and large scale permanent exhibitions. And then my partner got a tenure track job down here. They're a professor. Uh, and so we moved to Kansas. I freelanced for a year and a half and then I think what well, was my, one of my largest clients and I joined the company as a member of the core team and I've been
1: with them ever since. That's really cool. That's, uh, uh, that's a cool story of, of starting with MSI and developing there, and then really basically kind of branching out on your own to an extent uh, for that period of time, and then being able to uh, land with ThinkWell and being able to uh, um, kind of go down that, down that path. Um, a- as we're talking about your bio and your intro here, uh, Uh, We really can't avoid talking about your Twitter handle. So tell us, what does it mean, Cynthia Sharp, flipper of tables, setter of fires?
0: Um, I kind of haven't met a hard topic. I'm not willing to really just go to the mat over. Um, (laughs) I have, I think, backing up a step, the museum world and its heavy, heavy mission focus starting out my museum career on the south side of Chicago was really illuminating. Um, And although museums are deeply, deeply, deeply problematic places, when you start your themed experience career in a space that's focused on how do we serve audiences who've been traditionally marginalized? How do we Reach people who might not feel comfortable in our halls. What stories are we telling? Whose faces are we showing in our exhibits? It's a perspective that you bring with you the rest of your career, um, and so I brought that into the broader umbrella of themed entertainment working at Thinkwell, um, and I have been that loud, obnoxious person <laughs> at IAPA and TEA and you know Summit and Sate and. Uh, ASTC, the Association of Science and Technology Centers and AAM, the American Alliance of Museum Conferences and other ones going like, hey, our places, the places we're designing and building aren't equitable. They're not welcoming for everybody. Some of the stories we tell are exclusionary or even outright hurtful. We need to do better. And here are some ways that we can. Um, And I've been doing that for a fairly long time. The reality is at this point in my career, I am a 47 year old white woman with an executive title, I can flip tables and set fires and make people engage in conversation that my BIPOC contemporaries or more junior colleagues can't safely. Um, I have a tremendous amount of privilege. And part of that privilege is using, part part of the point of having that privilege is to use it to flip the tables and set the fires.
2: So I'll borrow something I saw on the uh, Harriet B. Da- the Daughters of Harriet B. Um, website, where you said using your powers for good, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm getting from what you're saying is that you're using your loud personality really to bring up issues that people should have been talking about anyway, but it took some sort of spark to get them to to really engage with it. So. What's that process like you know, in a, in a room full of people who you know you, they just don't want to talk about it or they've been kind of pushing it under the rug for years? Tell, tell us how you flip that table.
0: <laughs> um, it does kind of depend upon the room, who's in the room, and what the room has been doing so far, which I realize is a little bit of a non-answer, but I'm going to play it out in a couple of different ways. Um, the, so TEA, Sate back in 2019, the before times, (laughs) the entire theme of the conference was diversity and inclusion. So people had been primed for it, but I was asked to be the last speaker and to really be a call to action, Um, to have people walk out of that theater after two days of talking about and engaging with the material in a way that no other themed entertainment focused conference really had for the entirety of the conference schedule um to really be that like go off tilt at windmills do good you know kind of thing as as the conference wrapped Um, but i also knew that it was really numbing like two days of stretching muscles you didn't know you had and two days of having the veil ripped off your eyes in some cases you know having to go oh wow i designed that thing and oh that wasn't oh no and that's really hard um and so you can actually find the video on youtube um it's on the tea channel i opened my talk saying like with the intro of myself and then being and i'm racist and i'm sexist and i'm Yeah, go down the laundry list, because I have unconscious bias, not because I am a cartoon villain, not because I am what we like to think of a racist looking like, but because I've grown up soaking in TV and films and music and books and video games and stories that portray people in these damaging ways. This is what I've been soaked in culturally. And as someone who is known for talking about these things, who has gotten both praise and grief for talking about these things so publicly, to open up that conversation with, I have to work at this too. I am not better than you. Uh, And later on in the conversation, I copped to things that I did badly when I was a wee baby museum exhibit developer, um, and how damaging that could have been to guests who came to exhibits that I had a hand in. Um, Opening it up with vulnerability and humility, I think, goes a really long way. Um, Particularly because nobody likes to think about their body of work that's you know, in our industry is often meant to instill or evoke joy or happiness or togetherness or those great family memories to think about like, oh God, I did something that hurt somebody. Nobody likes to really lean into and consider that. So coming at it with this attitude of, I'm not better than you. I screwed this up too. We all have to work at this because we all grew up in a racist, sexist, classist, homophobic—you know, pick your term—culture and system that helps that helps open the door a little bit. Um, it helps sort of de-escalate the natural, oh no, I'm 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 good. I'm okay. I I don't see color or I, you know, I'm a good liberal. It's like, um you're still benefiting from structures that were built in and steeped in racism, for instance. So yeah, sort of de escalating from the get-go a little bit really helps in those rooms that tend to have a lot of power Mm because conference rooms tend to have a lot of powerful people in them. They're the people who can afford to go to those conferences. But if I'm in a creative meeting, if I'm in, you know, a situation like that, um, if it's an internal meeting, I hold a lot of gravitas as an example. I can model. I can model in the moment. I can follow up with somebody and be like, okay, I know that this is reflexive for you, but I need you to stop saying ladies and gentlemen when you walk into the room, or saying hey ladies, when you walk into the room because not everybody who's in that room identifies as a woman and they might not feel comfortable bringing it up with you directly because you are two notches above them on the ladder kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's always challenging to navigate with a client, particularly cross-cultural clients because norms are different, uh, culture to culture. Um, in that, in those instances, I tend to go go back to who are we designing this for? We're designing it for the guests. Who are your guests? Okay, let's talk about the varying needs of the guests because ultimately, if you disenfranchise a significant percentage of your potential audience, you're damaging your own bottom line. And that is a very powerful and compelling argument from the business side of things. You know, moral good moral good is great and awesome, and we should all want to do the right thing for the moral good reasons, but money speaks. So, you know, hey, we're building this for actual people to go to. Let's talk about the actual people. Kind of open up the condo that way.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Thank you for sharing that. Really appreciate uh, just the entire perspective around that. And and as we tie that into our industry, uh, what is the role that themed entertainment plays in everything else, uh, you know, as far as the the conversations that are going on in society today about about, um, social justice and diversity and inclusion and equity access? Um, So...
0: The kid who sees themselves in something we make today is the adult who owns 80 patents 50 years from now. Is the adult who's making the next blockbuster movie series, or you know, in the case Science Museum is going off and is figuring out how to deploy the vaccine in record time to the next emerging pandemic kind of thing. People need to see themselves in the stories that we're telling because we are building inspiration. We are crafting these worlds of aspiration. We're saying who heroes are. We're defining hero and villain and we're defining traits and behaviors that people should aspire to embody so i would argue that in everything we do we should strive to make everyone see a place for themselves in it see themselves reflected in the stories that we're telling because we are envisioning the future in a a way that's built on this engine of we tell stories to inspire. When it comes to museums, it's obviously an even more uh, nuanced and deep issue um, because museums have historically been used as places of myth-making and nation-building. Museums are oftentimes used to assert uh, validity and legitimacy of a nation or an empire or a ruler or what have you, um, and that carries down. Our museums, particularly in Western Europe and the US, are inherently supremacist structures. Our collections stem from conquering, our funding situation depends on who has the biggest checkbook and what you need to do to make them happy. Um, And museums have an awful lot of sway over the stories we tell ourselves. Look at how many museums talk about the lost cause of the American Civil War. Um and help perpetuate that. So it is incredibly important uh, on the museum side that we interrogate ourselves about what stories we're telling and how we're telling them, and whose voices are centered and who is seen as an authority. But then I can draw a direct line between that and some of the content at theme parks. you know, particularly as theme parks blur the line more and more between, real places and not real places. When you have um, a theme park gate that draws inspiration from multiple actual physical places in utilizing the architectural language of those places and mashes them up, that can be problematic. Those are real places with real cultures, with real histories. And those colors, those carvings, those styles, those representations mean things. And to smash them all together as a pastiche because it looks good is appropriative and deeply, deeply problematic. Um, And we've seen great examples of theme parks doing it really, really well of being very intentional with their storytelling and with their design process. So they are respectful and they aren't appropriative. Um, but I don't think that you can separate um, the current issues around and the current awareness of DNI from what we do as an industry. I mean, pause for a moment and think about the horrifying upswing in violence against uh, AAPI individuals over the past several months. And now think about how many times you were in a theme park and you saw something that was othering or fetishizing of Asian people and Asian culture. I saw it all the time as a kid going to amusement parks and theme parks. Um, I saw it all the time when it came to representations of Mexican people, or Native American and Indigenous people. Um, And that's a problem. That's a huge problem. And we need to be careful and not only not perpetuate that, but we need to examine what we've always taken for granted as being okay to do and included in our places and address it, redress it take it out, do it better.
2: So I'm curious, Cynthia, and and thank you again for for sharing all that. You know, this is not something that's going to be changed overnight, certainly Mm -hmm. with the stories that we're telling, whether it's a museum or a theme park or a family entertainment center. So what are some of those things that people should be watching out for now, either as they are reimagining an attraction or a, or a, um, Uh, facility or they're planning something new. I know you talked about making sure that, you know, everybody's represented in those stories. Um, I feel like that's easier said than done, but that may just be me having never tried to to write a story like that. So, (laughs) so, so help, help me out on that.
0: So it is, it's, it's challenging, not because the act of it is hard, but the mental transition The, you're having to not go down the tropes and pathways that you're used to and comfortable with. um, And you're having to think a little bit differently. But the ROI is immense, um, particularly when it comes to not having to rip something out and redo it a couple years on down the road. Um, When it comes to disability access and inclusion, that's a huge issue. It is way easier to have specialists on that at the table from your very first creative meeting, as opposed to like coming in at design review and being like, so that not so great. And then you have to do all of this uh, retrofitting and redlining or God forbid after opening. Yeah, no, better to have those folks at the table right at the beginning. Um, You have to approach the process from a place of openness. Who, and asking yourself, Is everyone welcome here? How can everyone see themselves in this? And it helps to have a really inclusive team around the table. And I use the word inclusive, not diverse, because it's not enough to have people of varying backgrounds, identities around the table. Everybody has to be empowered. I can have a Benetton ad around the table, but if not everybody has a voice, if, if everybody is just there as these silent, yes, great, we had this diverse team and they said it was okay. No, then you have not you have not done the process right. It needs to be inclusive from the get-go. And if you do that, it actually comes along much more naturally, but you need to make sure everybody's empowered so that somebody can speak up and say, you know what, you are, we've we've done this but by making the villain look like sound like be dressed like you know what have you that makes it sound like we're saying they're a insert name of identity group here and that's offensive so people have to be empowered to speak up and say that's can we do it this other way instead so that we're not villainizing someone or excluding someone. So if you make that inclusive team from the get-go, it helps tremendously.
1: That's really interesting, and and makes a whole lot of sense. Hearing it almost sounds like like a no-brainer of yeah what you yeah, should yeah. And, yeah. and why didn't you before if you know if you if you made those errors and you know I want to go back to something you you mentioned too as far as. Uh, representation of culture in themed entertainment. You did say there are many who are getting it right and doing really well, um, and then you also use the word fetishizing, kind of on the on the other side of the coin as well. What is? And I've got to imagine that it's it, it can't be intentional. It just it just. Came across that way because they didn't have those people sitting at the table. Uh, but as as far as just where the tipping point is between respectful and fetishizing, I how how can the storytellers and the creators make sure that they want to tell that story that is entertaining and accurate while at the same time. Uh, very respectful to to the culture that might be represented and I I imagine that having those people at the table is probably the first step but kind of thinking maybe retrospectively as far as I'm I'm now thinking of certain attractions that I've been on thinking hmm they probably didn't have those people you know at, at the table and we could cite examples if we wanted to or you know or we could you know we could leave it anonymous but I as far as just where you know where that balance is to make sure that it can come across to make sure that everyone is welcome there when they come visit?
0: Um, so I jokingly have my own sort of shorthand of like, if this would have been an okay and accepted Halloween costume when I was an eight-year-old, but now is like, oh, that's a good sign that we're doing it wrong. That's a good sign that no. Um, that is, that is not acceptable. Um, I am of the generation of women where there was, and I know that this wasn't across the entire U.S., um, but we lived in Florida on the East Coast from when I was eight until I was 13. And one fine day I came home and my mom was staring at a piece of mail absolutely confused. Um, she had been raised north of Chicago. And my dad and I had been invited to participate in the and I apologize for the term, it's what it was called, Indian princesses, which apparently was this like total culturally appropriative, put little white girls in phone Native American garb and have a quasi young girl debutante ball kind of insanity and it was perfectly acceptable and as my mom a northerner who was trained as a clinical social worker and had uh triple majored in college and had studied a great deal of social justice work although it was not called it that at that time in that educational context was like I'm sorry, no, and attempting to explain to all of the moms of my peer group, no, absolutely not, over my dead body, And so they will not be doing this, and here is why, got just like absolute blank looks and confusion. So, you know, the whole fetish- fetishization issue is one that has been around a long time. We continue to see it particularly in relation to uh, Asian and Pacific Islander women. Um, having people around the table, hiring in SMEs because you don't want, like, if you have one BIPOC person on your team, you don't want them to always have to be the Lorax who speaks for the trees. Take the time, spend the money, hire some subject matter experts. They're going to keep you from getting into all kinds of culturally appropriative hot water. Um, It is super worth having those folks around the table. but it is absolutely a fine line, unless you are really, really focused on what Joe Rohde described in those authenticity questions that once you really establish the authentic through line and basis for what you're doing, then all the design decisions and all those story decisions actually become really easy. He gave this really great talk um, at summit several years ago where he was taught where he talked through that in terms of alani and how that kept them on on the right path in terms of being respectful and not appropriative they worked directly with the communities they empowered folks from those communities if those folks vetoed something disney did not push for it and also by establishing that through line of the story it informed every design decision they had and it made it made that easy it no longer was this are we doing the right thing on every single design decision it was all rooted correctly and the decisions all just flowed really easily
2: yeah it sounds like starting with the right mindset and the right people around the table is a really critical piece of that. And, you know, your story from Florida has me thinking about when I was a kid and I was part of something called the Indian Guides. And mm-hmm. this was, you know, for young boys and their dads to learn about Indian, I'm air quoting, or Native American culture. And I was on the Mohawk tribe and had a sweatshirt and the whole thing. And now I'm totally rethinking how appropriate that might have been. Um, but it's its something that, you know, I, I cherished at the time, but again, now I'm thinking, I don't even know if they exist anymore, but I'm guessing they don't. It was kind of a precursor to, to Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts, but that was something that um, I enjoyed doing at the time, and I enjoyed learning and, and that kind of thing. And I think if it were, were probably presented in a more culturally appropriate way, it probably would have even had a better impact on mm-hmm. me. So um, I think about those things as you're talking about your examples that that I've even had that I don't think about now as being um, detrimental to my to my upbringing, but certainly could see how this is probably no longer appropriate.
0: Right, and not only not on the one hand not detrimental to your upbringing, you probably you talk about it fondly, probably a great bonding thing between the kids who participated and their parents, um, and yay for that. But also, on the flip side. What did that tacitly teach you was okay about how you regard Native Americans, about the language you use, about you as a white person cheerfully using um, sacred or ceremonial garb or imitations thereof, um, you know, co opting their culture? for you. I don't know a ton about Indian guides. The Indian princesses thing was like this total co-opting. I'm like, there was no educational value there whatsoever. Um, But yeah, and it's like many folks of my generation, there are so many memories of what, what we did as kids, what we watched as kids, what we played as kids, that now it's like, oh, oh, that, oh, no, that was, no, that's problematic. Um, it doesn't mean you're the problem. It means the culture and society that thought that was okay, nah, got it wrong and you need to not perpetuate it. So if you were going to go out and design a interactive educational event series for boys and their dads, now my guess is you would reflect on what worked for you in that in in Indian guides and be like okay getting to do these things hands-on totally great maybe let's do it without the cultural appropriation of the Mohawk tribe yeah and you, you learn the lesson and you apply it better going forward
1: It seems that a lot of the changes that we are seeing, for the most part, seem to be either well-received or demanded from the general public. Uh, But at the same time, of course, it is not without its own controversy in its own. Uh, I even saw just on on Twitter today, someone posted screenshots uh, that I I believe were directed at the changes coming to Jungle Cruise at Magic Kingdom and, and at Disneyland. And suggesting that there was no need to make any change, that it's existed this way for so many years, and I, I know our, our blood can collectively boil at you know at, at these comments here, uh, but you know how, how do you respond to those people um, who who want to? preserve the way things were, even though, you know, society itself has changed for the good and is, and is evolving and is becoming more inclusive uh, to be able to uh, allow them to, I guess, see the other side is probably the, the best way of putting that.
0: It's hard. So on Twitter and on YouTube comments, I genuinely don't engage um much if at all um with those folks who are strongly wedded to the way an attraction has always been or Walt's original vision or what have you um i have only so many hours in the day i have only so much emotional and mental bandwidth and that is not the best use of my time Um, but I had a really illuminating conversation with a colleague in the attractions industry who's on the operator side and we were talking about the rise, the context was, we were talking about the rise of aggressive guests, um, of guests who are abusive and aggressive towards institution or venue staff whether it's because like at a museum, they're presenting content that the guest doesn't agree with, global warming, the pandemic, (laughs) evolution, what have you, um, at a theme park because, you know, mandatory mask compliance, or how dare you shut down this ride and take away the original and put in this new property or what have you. And what this colleague had to say was, you know, previously, there was this real the customer is always right and you bend over to de-escalate a situation and make the customer happy but the conversion that they had made in their head was pissing off someone whose values fundamentally are at odds with what the company or museums stand for was not worth harming the staff who had to deal with them or the other guests who would have to witness it and as a result feel unsafe, unwelcome, unwanted. That losing the one was no contest when it came to keeping the others and while I wish in my heart of hearts that people would that everyone would value the importance of not mocking or denigrating or othering other races or other cultures not everybody's there yet and I am not gonna spend my time trying to argue with people on the internet that they should value people over an animatronic or a maquette.
2: Yeah, I think just arguing over the internet is a bad idea anyway.
0: It's a super <laughs> bad idea anyway. <laughs>
2: on, on just about any subject, um, but I totally appreciate when you say you've only got so much energy, you've only got so much time. and. Quite frankly it rarely changes their opinion, right? If anything exactly. they they stick their heels in even deeper.
0: Exactly. Exactly. You know, I'm not going to have the the kind of deeply resonant person-to-person conversation on blast over Twitter that I am if somebody rocks up to me after a conference session and is like, "I disagree with you on this thing really hard." Okay, let's <laughs> let's go grab coffee. <laughs> meet me at the hotel bar. We're going to dig into this. And I've had better than
1: meet so me in the parking lot. right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> the teenagers are third degree black belt. So I might just start bringing them with me to these <laughs> conferences to do that for me, but no. Uh, um, yeah, it's, it, it's not going to end well on the internet. It's really not.
2: Yeah. So, uh, Cynthia, I'm curious too. We, we, mentioned it very, uh, very early on, but you were one of the founders of Harriet B's Daughters, and I'd love to uh, dig into that a little bit more, exactly what that is, if people haven't heard of it, and what led you to founding that?
0: So, I co-founded Harriet B's Daughters, uh, harrietbsdaughters.org, with Nicola Rossini several years ago, uh, back in very, very early 2017, but we'd been talking about it uh, for quite some time beforehand, and it is an industry organization uh, dedicated to changing the face of themed entertainment one person at a time. We Mm -hmm. offer networking, we offer um, job opportunity, board, and coaching and assistance, getting ready for interviews, uh, helping people put together session proposals for conferences on any subject. It doesn't need to be session proposals on diversity, inclusion, equity, access, and social justice, because guess what? There are folks who are not 45-year-old white dudes in a blue blazer, white button-down, dark rinse jeans, and suede loafers who are experts on any subject that we're talking about at these conferences. So we help folks with uh, session submissions, and also uh, providing mentoring, both peer group mentoring and one-on-one mentoring uh, with an eye towards making our industry more inclusive and more equitable. Um, Our theory is that if we make our workplaces more equitable and more inclusive, our work products natu- naturally will be. And given how many billions of eyeballs see the stuff that we make every year, COVID year notwithstanding, um, moving we have the opportunity to move the cultural needle tremendously. Pre-COVID, there were 850 million visits to museums in the U.S. alone per year. That is more than every major professional sporting event combined. Uh, You know, one approximately one billion people (laughs) go to theme parks every year. So what we make is seen by tons of folks. So if we can do better, we're gonna we're gonna change the culture. Um, It started for a couple of reasons. Number one, we were also disparate and far-flung that conferences were like this period of frenzied, intense, catching up, networking, comparing notes, that kind of thing. Um, But also, Nicole and I had noticed this real shift leading into the 2016 election, which was historically, she and I had both been approached by younger people particularly women uh, in the industry for mentoring or coaching but heading into the election cycle we not only had our sort of age and experience peers asking us for mentoring and coaching we had more established senior exec women coming to us like the kind of people who i'm like yours is the job i dream about you know that right coming to us for advice and there was this real very intense sense of isolation from one another and this real need and then the 2016 election happened and it was really evident that on a federal level we were not going to see a push for inclusion or equity and so it was really going to be on us um and by the spring we had we we had it hit the point of We need to stop talking about doing this and just just freaking do it and we did um and it's been really gratifying and wonderful um obviously things took a turn this past year with covid but watching the members of harriet bees help each other out help each other with resume review with portfolio review with every job posting that anybody had any insight on whatsoever you know helping one another out that way as well it's been really gratifying
1: that's really amazing to hear that and just the the outcomes that come from that. Uh, one of the things you said is that uh, you do it one person at a time, mm-hmm. uh, which, which is amazing. It's uh, what did they say? Like an inch and a mile deep, basically, rather than kind of casting the net out to be able to serve as many people as possible, but not in as impactful of a way. So, how do you do that uh, one person at a time while also making sure that you can continually
0: impact more and more people? So that has been a challenge as we have grown because Nicole and I were like, yeah, we might have like 50 members. <clears throat> we blew past that really, really fast. Um, and let me just say that making one-to-one mentorship matches via me, two pads of differently colored post-it notes and a bottle of wine is not a long-term solution to managing our mentorship program needs. So if anybody has a line on a really great methodology or a software package online that does not charge 20 bucks the user, I am all ears, please and thank you. Um, It really is rooted in conversation. We have a super active Slack community um, and that allows people to lean in or out as much as they want to and need to. We have members who have been hyper, hyper, super active in the community and then stuff gets real hard at work, they're like, I have to tap out and it's okay, other people are gonna sort of ooze in and fill the space that you occupied until you can come back to the table and that's totally fine, we all get it. Um, At the same time, leveraging the access that our members have, particularly some of our more senior members, to being on stages at these conferences, to getting white papers published, um, has been an avenue for getting more people involved um, to spreading the message wider than just the membership, um, but also helping to platform some of the more junior and mid-career folks coming up behind us. Um, If you were at uh, the trends and innovations panel at IAPA in, again, the before times 2019, that was supposed to be Sean McCoy's and Maya's swan song. Um, We were handing off to a new generation, and we had four folks on that stage who had not presented at IAPA Museum and Science Center Day previously. Several of them were absolutely new to presenting at IAPA entirely, Um, and the ability to pass the torch that way, to create space and then hold it for others is a big part of what HBD is doing.
2: Very cool. Very cool. Well, Cynthia, this has been an amazing conversation and we're kind of getting close to the end here. Um, uh, But I have, I have a quick question that we hadn't even planned, but what's your favorite book behind you?
0: Oh gosh, what's on the shelf behind me? I have so (laughs) many. Um, Okay. That one's actually, can I give you like three answers? Sure. Sure. Why not? Um, Fiction is Dante's Inferno um i had an entire class in college like a semester-long class on dante and the prof was like so it turns out that heaven gets really repetitive and boring because you can say it's awesome in italian only so many ways before it begins to sound like he's sort of describing las vegas (laughs) so we're gonna spend 14 weeks on hell because that's way more fascinating so dante's inferno Um, Refuge by Terry Tempest Williams, which is, this is going to sound like such a light, happy read. Um, she was at the Natural History Museum in Utah. Uh, she is a naturalist and a poet and writer and her mom, like many other Mormon women, uh, developed cancer related to the nuclear testing, um, that the U.S. government did out in the Nevada uh, and Utah deserts. Um, And Refuge is the story of her mom's cancer returning and the um, incredible impact that a drought was having on all the migratory birds around Great Salt Lake and their journey as a family. It is hard and awful and revelatory and it's a great book. But The Cooking Gene by Michael Twitty. Everybody needs to read The Cooking Gene by Michael Todi, because not only uh, is what he cooks delicious and will make you want to go into your kitchen and cook immediately, but it is an absolutely eye-opening read. If you're someone who designs stories to be told in public places, if you run places that tell stories, he is an African American, African-American culinary historian. Um, and has researched exhaustively the history of cooking in the American South and how it was impacted by um, the slave trade and the movement of enslaved people through the South. And he does historic facilitation and recreation at plantations and history museums across the South. And his is not the pretty sanitized version of when, I would go to those places on field trips as a kid, but it is the hard unflinching reality of what life was like for enslaved people Mm. in the big house on plantations. And so it is this, the book is this incredible tracing of his family's roots all the way back to the ancestors who were taken from Africa and cooking and history and who makes history and who tells history in the american south it's an incredible read and he's kosher soul on twitter what is it kosher he is kosher soul on twitter okay
1: interesting thank you for those recommendations um no that's problem. really interesting uh, cynthia if people want to know more about thinkwell if they want to get a hold of you directly or say hi on the socials where would you send them
0: i would send them to obviously thinkwellgroup.com Um, which is our main site, or you can uh, connect with us on LinkedIn. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, I am sin sharp, I think on Twitter. I actually need to look at that because I changed my Twitter handle uh, because my previous handle was so yes, sin sharp, C Y N S H A R P E um, because my Twitter handle, which was my online persona for the better part of two and a half decades. It's really awkward when blue loop and the TEA are, like tweeting at Chicago winch It's like, okay, the fiction of I'm going to maintain a professional Twitter and my personal Twitter is a fiction. And I just need to collapse it all into one. Um, but yeah, you can absolutely reach out to me on LinkedIn, uh, think well group, uh, you can connect with us on our website or via LinkedIn or you can look me up on Twitter.
1: Awesome. Any, uh, final message or words of wisdom for our audience?
0: Um, Many of the issues that we've talked about today, as I believe Matt said, this stuff is not gonna get fixed in an instant. Um, This is uh, dismantling, tear down the walls, build a new kind of thing in many ways. Um, And it can feel really daunting and overwhelming, Um, but every day you can do one thing just a little bit better. You can listen to a different perspective. You can invite somebody else to participate in a meeting. You can read one short article to educate yourself. You can do one tiny thing every day. Um, and, And if we all participate in ways big and small, it's going to get a whole lot better, much faster than if we all were like, Oof, too much. I can't even begin.
2: I think that's really, really great advice. And Cynthia, again, this has been a fascinating conversation and thank you so much for your time today. And for everybody out there listening and watching, just remember we are all attraction pros. Thanks for listening to the attraction pros
1: podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even
2: better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.